Hosts Elle and Miriam are two Black homeschooling moms embarking on a self-defining journey. Listen in on conversations that will encourage you to be your authentic self while uplifting your spirit and motivating your inherent potential. They're defining what culture is for their families and want you to do the same. Bring your children along too so they can meet the cleverly cultured kids. They're all for teaching the babies while they're young, adapting to the challenges of parenting, homeschooling, and being willing to learn the lessons that the children have to offer. It's all about uplifting one another and reclaiming your innate greatness. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. Now, I can't wait to tell you about our new guest today. This is one of those conversations where if you have little ones, this may be one of those conversations where you want to listen to it when you have some adult time because we're going to be real we're going to talk about some things that may not be great for the little one's ears right now but when they get older we definitely encourage you to have these conversations with them so i am one of your hosts l cole i am a mom of twins my daughters are now 14 years old so i am a mom of teenagers and I homeschooled my kids for seven years. And I have a co-host who is Miriam. She is listening in right now. And um, she is an organic farmer. She's an urban farmer who does amazing things with fruits and vegetables. And she homeschools her four children. They are incredible little ones. Her oldest is 15. So she is one of those moms who have kids kind of in every grade level almost right now, even though she has four. So what I mean by that is she has a high schooler. She has, um, I think her daughter, her other daughter is um, not yet yet in middle school. She is still in elementary school, but she is in one of the upper elementary grades. And then she has two younger ones who are in younger grades. And her youngest just turned five, so he's a little guy. Um, but we are so happy to be on this journey with you. And today's guest, I have talked enough. I want our guest to tell you who she is. Dr. Candace, can you tell everybody a little bit about you? First, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you and talk about some fun, but sometimes awkward conversations. <laughs> My name is Dr. Candace Nicole Hargons. I'm an associate professor of counseling psychology at the University of Kentucky, and I study sexual wellness and liberation. And so one thing that I enjoy about the work that I get to do is mentor incoming psychologists, but also research the topics around Black sexualities and what it means to look at it through a positive lens as opposed to a deficit lens. And so the way we'll have this conversation today will be more affirming and humanizing as opposed to the ways that Black sexualities have been talked about prior. Awesome. I know I'm ready for this conversation. As an adult, I grew up in a very Christian home and sex was something that was kind of taboo mm -hmm. where, you know, obviously with people running around with kids, you know that they've engaged in sex, but it wasn't something that we were encouraged to openly talk about. And so, um, you know, hearing that this is a conversation that can be healthy is yeah. liberating in and of itself. So I want you to kind of unpack <laughs> what healthy sexuality is. It looks different for everyone and at every stage. And so when we think about us being parents, there's two ways to consider it. One is that you're considering 
the sexual wellness of your child across their lifespan, what information is appropriate for them at different developmental levels so that when they are adults and consenting to sexual experiences, they're doing so not from the taboo, like many of us grew up and not from the stigma, fear or shame, but from a sense of wellness and wholeness. And then there's the discussion that we have with ourselves about how our dynamic with sexuality can change after becoming parents and what that means for our partnerships and our own sense of self. And so what we teach versus what we live can sometimes be disparate things. And so we can talk about all of that. Yay. I'm, I'm super excited, mainly because I know for many parents, we see sometimes online different memes that say, have you had that talk yet mm -hmm. <laughs> with mm -hmm. your kids? And often when we have the soul, um, the quote unquote talk with our kids, it's kind of too late. Like, yeah. I feel like if our kids are in middle school, that's probably not the first time when you should be talking about the appropriate names of body parts. Yes. And, you know, our kids are going through adolescence at that point. And so we probably should start that conversation a little bit earlier. So can you tell us when should parents start talking about, let's just start with the beginning. Mm -hmm. When should we start saying the correct terms for our private body parts? My recommendation is immediately because Kids, before they're even like able to use language, they hear and they begin to retain what we're saying and how we're calling it. So for my son, he's four now, but we were always saying, okay, I'm going to wash this part of your body. I'm going to wash your arm. I'm going to wash your chest. I'm going to wash your penis. Like, And so he's registering the parts that are being washed. This is a person who loves me and cares about me and is okay to touch me, but they're also naming where I am. So he has a great vocabulary because he understands what his body parts are and what they mean. And developmentally at each stage, they may become curious about their body. And so you answer those questions as they ask them. Sometimes parents, because they feel awkward or ashamed, foreclose on the conversation. And so it's like, don't touch that. Don't say anything about that. That's nasty. As opposed to, well, it seems like you're curious. What would you like to know? That's a really good sentence stem to invite them to ask you at their level of understanding questions, and then you can meet them at that same level. So at four, my son is curious about where babies come from. And he's like, well, where did I come from? And I was like, you know, I had a cesarean section. So you were in my uterus. And then the doctor made a couple of incisions and he pulled you out and you said, where, <laughs> what else would you like to know? And he was like, oh, so when I was in your uterus, is that in your tummy? I was like, yeah, it is. And that and that kind of conversation is a developmentally appropriate one for four years old. You always end on what else would you like to know? Because then that gives them the, the sign that it's okay to talk to you about something if they become curious again. And usually they don't want to know too much more than the question they ask. They might have one or two more, but you can see where their curiosity is going. As they age, then their peers are now informing them about different things. So they're having show and tell moments at certain schools <laughs> they're, or they're, you know, they heard something from an older sibling or an older cousin and they're checking it out with each other. Have you heard about this? Or because we live in an area where sometimes there's an inundation in screen time and, and, you know, social media, they might see something that's not, not yet something they've been exposed to and be curious about it. And so you get to then develop their social media literacy around sex. Like these are the things that you shouldn't look up. And these are the things that are okay to look up, but you can always ask me about them and I'll check it out with you. So when you're in that elementary school range, you're really helping them think, what do your friends say about this? What have you heard about this? And you're inviting them to have those conversations with you. You also think about telling them how their body will change. Remember you needed to have any teeth and now you have these number of teeth. Well, your body is going to continue to change as you age. And so you prepare them before their body starts changing in hormonal and pubescent ways that that's going to happen so that they won't be alarmed. <laughs> Some I don't know about y'all, but I have these conversations with clients or people I educate and they were never told they were going to start menstruating. And then it just happens and they are surprised and, and frightened and terrified as opposed to someone having that conversation with them. And since kids who are of the global majority, so black kids might tend to like start pu puberty earlier. We have to have those conversations earlier. Woo, that's a good point <laughs> that you just talked about is the puberty. And I, 
I think that I think about my own experience and being in school during bathroom time. That's usually when um, kids talk about, you know, puberty or they start exploring or all kinds of things. And I remember maybe I was in the fifth grade and I remember one of my classmates said, oh, I got my period and all the girls were so excited. Yep. And I was like, that's not something that's exciting. So I am the youngest of five, and I just remember hearing my sisters complaining oh. about their period and how it was inconvenient and a problem, and mm -hmm. they hate it when it was that time of month. And so I was like, what? Like, in my, you know, I was, so the year, I'm 11 years younger than the sister that's next to me, just oh, to wow. put it in yeah, perspective. Yeah, that's a big gap. So it's a big gap. And so to hear my classmates have this joy and excitement, it was completely, it completely took me off guard. And I was the joy and excitement classmate I, because I really wanted to menstruate for some reason. I wanted to be grown so bad, but I wanted to, I wanted to start my period because I had read about it in Encyclopedia Britannica and I wanted to get breasts because I felt like that mean I was, meant I was emerging as a woman. So when it happened for me, I was like, girl, it happened. You know, it was sixth grade for me, but yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly how it was. And on the playground, it was usually the kids notice that you were developing mm -hmm. before you acknowledge it yourself. So they'd be like, oh, you, you know, I remember running um, on the playground and kids were like, yeah, you might need to start wearing a bra. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's one of those things where you may not be ready to talk about it, but it may be time to start. Mm -hmm. So if a parent has a child that is curious and may not be, you know, maybe a little bit more on the introverted side, may not be so willing to talk about it. How should parents approach the curious kid, but the kid that's afraid to acknowledge their curiosity and mm -hmm. be kind of upfront and open about it? Yeah, I'm definitely an introverted person. So this is a wonderful question. When you think about making an invitation to a conversation, not a recommend, not like not a requirement. So, hey, I know that, you know, this is a time where I would love to begin talking to you about puberty or talking to you about what sex is and what it means. But I want you to let me know when you feel ready to have that conversation. This is the time where it would be good to have it. But we can set up some time and you and I can go on a little mommy daughter date or mother son date and we can have privacy and we can talk about it together and so just letting them know that the conversation is okay and on the table and that they get to set the time frame for it makes a huge difference also I would recommend books so typically that introversion is like you have a really refined interior world and books help you open that up so there are and I can provide provide some some of the examples of those books but you, you know, give them one or two books and say, these aren't just for you to read and figure out alone. I really want to talk to you about some of the things that you might read in these books. So once you finish a chapter, reach out to me. And if you don't, I'll check in with you and ask you what kind of questions you have about it. And that makes it an ongoing conversation. Ooh, so you just talked about books. And I thought in my mind, just thinking, um, you know, my husband told me about his conversations with his parents and it was more so just kind of the parents put a book close by. Oh, and kind okay. of wanted the, the child to read it. And so I was like, oh, that's a unique pro approach. Mm -hmm. So for the parent who doesn't want to talk about it, would you recommend that they just put a book? No, <laughs> I'm sorry, but as parents, we're going to have to get over it a little bit. <laughs> it's normalized that it's awkward, though. Like, this feels awkward for me because I didn't get to have good conversations about sex growing up. But if it's awkward for both of us, we'll do it together. We'll be courageous together. But don't just leave a book and <laughs> leave the kid on their own to figure it out. Like, give give them the availability to talk about it, even if you have to, like, struggle your way through it together. Make sure they're books you read first so, so that you're informed about what's in the books because most of us didn't get good sex ed in schools and we didn't get it in our communities and we didn't get it in our homes. And so sometimes we need updated information and that's okay. There's nothing to be shamed about if you were never exposed to it either. 
Right, right. Miriam, did you want to add something to the conversation about this topic? Well, you kind of stole my question. It was, so since we're talking about um, the parents approaching children, the question was basically, so how, what recommendations do you have for the adults who are not comfortable opening up on said subject? And that sounds like, you know, you want to push through or somebody else is going to do it for you or you may yeah. not like it, but they are learning from somebody else. They're going to learn. <laughs> exactly. It happens. And so I guess in that same uh, line of thought, it made me think about how how do you navigate when other people's children yes. are saying this? Because I know in the online class that I teach, sometimes children will say things, and you know, I I tend to just you know say, look, I don't know how much your mother and father told you. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep it very short and sweet and direct you to your grownups. Yeah. And, and I know I've also seen adults like, well, mm-hmm. of course, you know, their parents are mortified. Like, oh my God, <laughs> how, how is this? Why, why is this such a taboo? I, we can we can definitely get into the why it's a taboo, but you hit on something that's an important note. So you get to do this in community. So for y'all who do homeschooling, you have hubs or you know co- communities or networks where you support each other in that process. You can decide. Let's have a sex ed session for our kids in this session. So the parents get together and read something together first, and then you're on the same page about this is what we want our kids to know. This is what we feel like is appropriate at this age. And then if kids in our community with each other ask you, these are the things that you can say and I'll reinforce it at home, or these are the things I would rather say. So just let them know, I'm gonna reach out to your mom and let her know you had some good questions or your dad and let them know you had some good questions. And they're gonna be ready to talk about that with you the next time you meet or when you feel like is a good time. That way you're doing it as a collective as opposed to individually. Because I think that's where we miss an opportunity. Absolutely. I love that you just talked about community and creating a safe space Yeah, because we often say it takes a village, but we don't necessarily always know what that means, Mm -hmm. how to create Mm -hmm. the village, how to create the safe space ourselves, because it's not just out there. (laughs) We often have a part to play where we have to create it, form it, develop it, Mm -hmm. put the people together and be able to confront some things in a new way. So I'm just curious, I know this is what you do now. When you were younger, did you have a healthy talk with your parents? No, no, not at all. So my, my sex education was because I was a really precocious and curious kid. So my grandmother, whom we lived with for a little while, had a set of Encyclopedia Britannica. And I was in there looking like, when is puberty going to happen? What is going to happen to my body? Because I didn't feel like I could ask those questions to anyone in my life. I got the message. And I didn't grow up in a highly religious family. My grandmothers were religious, but my mother was not. And so their ideas about like waiting till marriage were not manifest in my mother or anybody around me. But it was like, you just keep your legs closed and that's it. Or the Bible says this, or you're going to hell. And I'm like, oh, okay. But it seems like y'all been having a good time. So I'm still curious about what this means. And so I started reading and finding the information like we were talking about. So I go to the library and read just because I I was a voracious reader and love to, but then I'm going to find books that tell me a little bit more or looking in magazines, which the information is probably not at, was not accurate and not age appropriate but it was like oh this is my best chance to find out what sex is or what it means and those mixed messages in addition to hip-hop music I grew up in the era of Little Kim and Foxy Brown like they were giving messages about sex so to Miriam's point I was going to learn it I was going to hear information and learn something but if you have a parent who is willing to give you evidence-based information culturally congruent information, like that makes a big difference to how you can vet the information that you're going to get from everywhere else. 
Awesome. Can you give us any title of books? Because yeah. you're, you're talking about the correct information. Mm -hmm. And I think that is critical because some of us, although we may have had talks, we may have done research, I feel like we're often still learning. Yes, we are. And, we and are unlearning things. Oh, come on with the unlearn. <laughs> okay, so this one is called my one of my faves is called Sex Positive Talks to Have with Kids. And a woman of color wrote it, Melissa Carnegie. She's a sex educator. She runs on Instagram, Sex Positive Families. So I follow her work. They've been doing beautifully translated, like it's scientific, it's evidence-based, it's medically accurate, but it's also accessible. And the images look like kids, like all of us. And it's just, it's, it's beautifully done. So that's my favorite go-to for parents and caregivers. Oh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Sounds like an incredible resource. And everybody, if you're listening, we will put these resources that are shared in today's conversation in our show notes. And our show notes page is at cleverlychanging.com. So when you are ready, definitely go there. But I want us to kind of transition just a little bit because mm -hmm. I feel like we talked a little bit about introducing it to the younger kids. Miriam and I, you know, I spoke about it at the beginning of the conversation. We have teenagers, yeah. so our kids have started puberty. Mm -hmm. um, whether we had the talk <laughs> the way we were supposed to or not is, you know, it's kind of, we're past that now. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and we are now in the space where we have to have um, deeper conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of those topics I think that is kind of taboo is um, self-pleasure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to that, and, <laughs> you know, I sound like my mom now, um, but when it comes to just being healthy and talking about self, talking about knowing your body, talking mm -hmm. about masturbation, how do you approach conversations like that with your teenager? Yeah, you start with normalizing sexual desire and arousal. Like because you're at the age where your hormones have started, like you're, you've developed, um, there's a lot of sexual stimuli, people are around you that you find attractive. It's totally normal for you to feel aroused and totally normal for you to feel sexual desire. And so when you normalize that, it's like, well, what can I do with it that doesn't put me in a situation I don't want to be in? So I think the conversation of consent is really important. And the conversation of self-pleasure or solo sexuality is really important for two reasons. One, there's a way that you get to know yourself through sexual self-pleasure where you don't want to go into a sexual experience not being able to communicate what it is you actually want and desire. So whether you wait five more years till you're 20 or 10 more years until you're 25 to make your sexual debut with a partner, you don't wanna do that with no information about what you actually want and have it be a one-sided encounter. And that's for boys and girls, like for, for people of all genders. You, you really wanna be able to understand who you are sexually, what you like, what you don't like, that's important. There's also a way that we prioritize boys' pleasure over girls' pleasure. So for those of us who are raising girls in particular, they get the message that it's not ladylike, it's uncouth, like that self-pleasure is they'll never get someone if they're engaging in self-pleasure. Whereas boys get, it's normal for a young man. You know, it's just a, it's a part of life. You gotta do what you gotta do. And we probably need to balance the scales a bit on that because otherwise we're gonna maintain what we have now as a pleasure, a pleasure gap. And we don't wanna continue, we don't wanna have that continue if we can do something about it. Now, a lot of people feel very uncomfortable talking about masturbation with their teenagers and the teenagers feel as uncomfortable having that conversation <laughs> with their parents. So it might not be that you go super deep, but you can say it's something that's normal, it's something that's healthy, it's something that has health benefits from reducing stress to experiencing pleasure. And so if it's something you decide to do, then it should be done in private, you know, like, and just putting a context around it. And I think that just normalizing conversation, even if it's brief, can reduce the sexual shame a lot of people feel. 
Mm, you said that golden word, um, shame. And I think a lot of us, and when I say us, I'm talking about women who are African-American. Sometimes in our world, they make it seem like African-American women are hypersexual. Yes. And so when we acknowledge our sexual feelings, sometimes we're seen as a slut, as fast, fast. Mm -hmm. wow. And that gives us that lens of shame. Yep. How do we get past that shame when these are the messages from society and from mm -hmm. our even our African-American communities? Because I think we often do a lot in our communities to get past whatever society is doing, but this mm -hmm. isn't one of those things. This is one of those things where we're usually making it worse mm -hmm. by causing that woman to also have shame. So how do we how do we remove that if that has been an environment where we felt shamed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful segue into this conversation about being called fast and where that comes from. So let us take it back to respectability politics and why they showed up anyway. It's uh -huh. because it was in reaction to those sexual stereotypes that you talked about. So a lot of our foremothers and forefathers were like, in order to not be perceived as hypersexual, as sexual predators, we have to have the utmost sexual morality. And that's a really narrow window of what your sexual self can look like and be how you can express. Now humans were humaning all around that, right? <laughs> like we were doing us, but you had to make it look a certain way and be presenting a certain way. And your dress had to be a certain length and your, you know, like all of these things that we hoped would protect us from sexual violence. We hoped would protect us from sexual stereotyping. And it doesn't work because we know that kids before they even have a sense of them sexual, of their sexual selves have been sexually violated, right? That, that occurs in all communities. And we know that you can't out, out excellent racism out excellent sexism so you can't just be so modest that the world is going to treat you well so why not show up authentically and responsibly without this fear that you're going to perpetuate stereotypes that you don't have any control over anyway and I think that the way we approach that is through having good sex conversations with our kids and letting them know that okay what you wear isn't going to be the reason why somebody decides to be a predator that's them that's on them putting the blame where blame is due, what you, you know, if you choose to engage in a sexual experience at a certain time where people might think that it's a little bit early, how did you know you were ready? What are those benchmarks that you and I have discussed together that prepare you for your sexual debut? So do you know how to use contraception? Do you know how to talk to your partner about what you don't want and what you do want? If you're not ready to do that, maybe you're not ready to make your sexual debut. Like, so normalizing the healthy behaviors around it, as opposed to saying, just don't think about it and act like and pretend like it's not a thing. Um, you just said something that really, so when you said having the, having the understanding that if someone were to, you know, assault you or come at you wrong, it's not your fault. Well, th mm -hmm. yes, this is true. It's not your fault. And I know for myself, it seems it's a very double-sided thing because although you should be able to wear whatever you want to wear and look however you want to look, unfortunately, in this society, especially as women, we are not safe. We are not safe here. If we choose not to entertain a young man, if we choose not to let him have our phone number, if we choose not to let him walk us to the next subway, or if we just say, no, thank you, we're liable to not be able to make it home. Mm -hmm. And so I know- And acknowledging myself, that. I, yes. Yeah, I, I constantly tell the daughter like, yo, we are not safe here. And I understand. You want to be able to do some of these things, wear some of these things, go some of these places, but you're not safe. So although this does not give anyone license to take advantage of you and it doesn't make it your fault 
that someone did or tried to take advantage of you, you have to be very aware and conscious of your decisions mm -hmm. and where you go and how you move. It's not fair. It's not fair. It sucks. But you have to understand your reality that you're mm. not safe. And so don't let Cardi B and the rest of these chicks trick you into thinking that you safe. Because she ain't safe either. But here's the thing, and I want to touch on this point because you make a, a really sound argument for why some people think that the way you dress makes a difference. But if Trayvon Martin is walking down the street and he's shot dead, we shouldn't all stop wearing hoodies. You know, and he's not safe and he's not going to be safe. I honestly don't believe safety exists. I think it's a social construct. Oh, so sure. the things that we try to do to make ourselves feel safe often aren't the things that are actually going to protect us. So if I'm going, if I'm going to a party and my skirt is three inches longer than somebody else's. I'm not any safer than she is. And we kind of, we, we wish we had control over it. We wish we could protect our kids in every place, in every space. But the reality is we can't. What you're talking about is giving them the information in the game. Like these are the things that you might want to look out for. These are some of the dispositions that let you know a person is a predator. If he's 25 and he's talking to you and you're 15, predator. You know what I mean? Like having those conversations, that's consent. That's sex education. That's about agency and autonomy. But her wearing an ankle length skirt versus a knee length skirt versus a mini skirt ain't gonna protect the 20, it's not gonna stop a 25 year old predator. You know, and I think we mix those conversations up. So your point is strong and valid. Like you're not, you're not safe in this world. I wish that weren't the case for our kids. I wish that weren't the case for anybody's kids. And we can't be of the myth that there are certain things, like people think, if you're articulate, it's going to mean you're going to be successful in life. There are plenty of articulate people who will remain in poverty because they were born in poverty. Like all we we conflate those things where the, the, the problem is with the people who are perpetuating the harm. But you do need to be able to discern what spaces are harmful and what people have the potential to injure you. We're touching on something that I, I really want to unpack a little bit because... Right now in the news, we heard about a former president who was found liable for sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he was running for president and that video was released about a man with money can just grab a woman by mm. her. And he used a derogatory term. He did not say her vagina, mm -hmm. but that's what he was talking about. And he felt like he had the authority to do that. Now, we are women, all of us on this call, and I think we probably can all think back into our past and remember a time where somebody probably felt like they had the authority. Now, whether or not they were able to harm us is a, a whole nother thing, but the reality is that we all will face a, some sort of interaction yeah. where the outcome can be sexual assault. And so as a mom of daughters, I want my children to have freedom. I want them to, to have this sense of safety that we just mm -hmm. said is a social construct that doesn't re really exist. But I want them to have that. And, mm -hmm. and I know that it doesn't fully exist, but how do we raise women to be healthy when we know that there are people just like this former president who was so open and so free to say that he sexually assaulted women yes. not just one he was just like it's it's a woman you you can do that to mm -hmm. all deal people. with it so how, how do we you know i i really struggle with that because if you can have somebody in the highest position say that and do that yeah we're just in a whole, like so many other people are gonna feel that sort of, that's, they're gonna feel like they can do that the same thing. Yeah. But do you ever, either one of y'all ever get that intuition, that soul level wisdom, this person is not, something ain't right about them. 
Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, so for how did sure. we att- listen, how do we attune our kids to that? Yes. How do we help well, them have it, that? Yeah, go ahead. I said what for me, and a lot of adults get really upset about this about my children, and I do not give a rat's behind. I do not make my children speak. That's, that's if it. They yes. are not feeling comfortable. I don't care if you're my mom, yes. his mom, aunties, uncles, cousins. I'm going to need you adult to deal with whatever you got feeling about them not talking to you. Because for some reason or another, they're not comfortable speaking to you right now. That doesn't mean it's going to be this way forever. Yes. But if this moment they're not feeling you, they're not feeling you. And I'm not going to force them. Now, I may encourage them and say, oh, this is so-and-so. It's okay if you would like to. But if you're mm-hmm. really not feeling it, that's okay. So I try my best not to turn off that little voice that's in their head. Because mm. at this age, and they're younger, and you keep shutting that down, shutting it down. Now they're adults. Yes. And they're so used to shutting it down. They're like, mm. But this is the the socially correct thing to do. This is the nice thing to do. No, you ain't got to be nice to nobody. Mm-mm. You don't. And that's, con- but that you're talking about a beautiful conversation and consent, which is related to this, right? You don't have to hug somebody just because they want to hug. You don't have to sit on somebody's lap just because they want you to. You don't have to speak just because like maybe you're having a maybe you're feeling anxious as a kid. And so you don't want to speak right now. If you feel bashful and shy when you walk into a space and there are a lot of people, you might say, I'm not ready yet. That's okay. Normalizing that you are not required to meet other people's expectations and needs and entitlements is a part of a good comprehensive sex ed conversation with your kids. Because you're right, Miriam. It attunes you to and keeps your attunement because you have it when you're a kid, right? It keeps your attunement to something about this situation doesn't work well for me. And because many of us grew up in communities and families where it was like, no, give so-and-so a hug or you're being Mm -hmm. disrespectful, then we did turn that off. We did turn that part off. So when you talked about like, what does it mean to, you know, go into a space? So when you get that spidey sense, you get that feeling, that intuition, it's okay for you to leave. Yep. You don't have to be worried about pleasing somebody if you walk into a party and everybody is drinking and using substances and you weren't raised like that and mm-hmm. it doesn't work for you. It's okay for you to do the thing that people might perceive as uncool and leave. If it's not, it doesn't feel right for you. Like in normalizing that, normalizing the realities that sure, there might be social consequences. This is what that feel like, feels like. Rejection can feel really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, people, people talking about you can feel really hard, but I love you and I care about you and we will deal with that but I want you to trust your intuition, trust your wisdom and trust how I've raised you. And I think those are important conversations, even when it comes down to like when they are of adult age and they're 21 and 22, and maybe they want to try drinking or something like that. It's like this amount of alcohol reduces your inhibitions. So always be mindful of how much you're drinking, where you're drinking. All of these are conversations that are relevant. Yeah. It is. I mean, so when you said consent, okay, so my ma- my brain skips around a whole lot. The connections don't always make sense. But <laughs> when you said consent, I was, so a, a while ago, I was trying to figure out, especially because I have two boys, um, how I can instill in them that you can't just mm-hmm. go touching people and you can't just go yes. trying to whatever, right? Because that's what you want to do. Yes. And so I've been trying to figure out how to do consent. And what I kind of came across was, so like when they're playing with each other or other kids or their sisters, if they say, stop, I don't want to play anymore, mm-hmm. then I'll step in if they yes. keep trying. And I'll be like, hey. They said they don't want to play anymore. So that means it's time to stop. You need to find something else to do or find another game that they're willing to play. So um, and and my head is like, well, maybe this will kind of carry across into other areas in life, sex and whatever else. They, you know, this person is no longer a willing participant. So whether or not, like, if you are having sex and they want to stop in the middle, stop. Yes. It's not like we already started. Let's just no. Mm-mm. When someone calls for timeout, it's timeout. And if you go beyond that, 
then you got yourself in a trick bag that you yeah. don't want to be in. And so I don't know if that's really what I'm doing, but that's the idea that I have in mind. And I, so I'm wondering, is this something that you would recommend or do you have any other recommendations for how to teach young people what consent is and what it can look like and how to navigate that space? So you just, you just gave us a beautiful example of consent the way you would bring it home so that they can pair it. Cause sometimes you're giving it in one context and they're not mapping it onto another, call it consent. Like, so if the, if they said stop, you want to stop. Cause that's consent. Just like when you don't want to be played with anymore and you don't consent to playing, like just, just give it, give it a word. And so yeah. they know, like, I don't, you know, consent means this, they start to put it together. Um, okay. So it's the practice is all there. You just want to pair it. And then as they age and you say, like, if, you know, if you're playing with someone, you're kissing and that's all they want to do, that's all they consented to, you know, like that, that makes, that makes the conversation continuous. So it's an ongoing evolution of consent because kids, look, I have the conversation about consent with my four-year-old because we know that sometimes kids are sexually violated before they're even able to have the language for it. So you give it to them as early as possible. Nobody gets to touch your body. You know how I'm cleaning you and washing you in this bath? Nobody gets to touch your genitals. Nobody gets to touch this because you can, because you get to consent or say, no, thank you. I don't want that. I'll clean it myself. Or, you know, like you get to, that's consent. And if I don't want to do something with my son, I'm like, Hey, I don't want to play. And you need to respect that. Cause that's my consent. Mm -hmm. You know, he's like, what is consent? And I'll tell him in, in a developmentally appropriate way. And then when he's 10, he'll ask me and I'll tell him in a developmentally appropriate way then, but he's going to have the language for it. And he's going to know that if mommy doesn't want to play, she doesn't want to play anymore. If your friend doesn't want to play this way, they don't want to play anymore. And if you don't want to play, because a lot of boys, like in my research, 25% of black men reported that they had been sexually assaulted. That's a quarter of black men who have not had the ability to consent in a sexual situation. And it's much higher for black girls and women. So if we're having these conversations early, I think we can together reduce those rates. I wanted to give you a good consent education company too. They they do talks for kids and it's, I can't remember her last name, but the company is called Comprehensive Consent and they go into schools and have these conversations or with organizations and have these conversations. But one of the things that you just talked about is a part of her practice. It's like consent is not just in that sexual space. It's in play, it's in eating food, it's in all of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm curious. Oh, sorry, Elle, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to bring up the fact that recently I've been hearing about a lot of cases with substance abuse and you kind of touched mm -hmm. on substance yeah. abuse. And this is really in, in the context of our kids because I feel often when our young boys are in a situation where they're drinking out with their friends and then something happens, mm -hmm. often their sentence is a lifelong sentence yes. and much worse yes. than some of their other peers. Mm -hmm. And that can be something that they don't really overcome. So yeah. how do we help our kids see that you got to start making these healthy choices and healthy decisions now? You know, because mm -hmm. when they're high schoolers, they just want to hang out. They just want to be with their friends. But I think of... Yeah. I think of, you know, the actor Nate, um, who he was take they pulled the whole show down. He was mm -hmm. in college, he was drinking, and he was accused of sexually of of rape um yeah. for a girl oh. that was in, in the dorm. And this will follow his career forever. Like I haven't seen him on TV since that particular experience. And I think you know, we can think of so many, like right now there's another young man who, Jonathan yes, oh, yes, Jonathan Majors. He, he's in a, you know, a situation with domestic abuse. And I find that, you know, we often feel conflicted. Like, mm -hmm. you know, he was really young. I just feel like, how do you reconcile? Because of course we don't agree with rape. We don't agree with sexual assault, but sometimes these stories make us say, hmm, 
they definitely should have made a different choice, mm -hmm. you know? And their choice all of a sudden is following them for a lifetime. And I think that could happen to any of us and any of our children. So how do we really kind of set them up to be better decision makers? Yeah, I think Miriam painted that picture early on saying, you know, we live in an unfair world and placing blame where blame is due is important for me. So, you know, because of racism, because of sexism, because of whatever the systems of oppression are, your your harms, your crimes, your decisions, it can even be just a poor choice for the day, will be judged more harshly. That is unfair to you. That takes away some of your humanity. Like just name all of those things, but you're also gonna make decisions with that understanding. Right. So I wanna tell you that if you're out drinking with your friends and some of your friends are white and some of your friends are not white, that there may be different outcomes for you just based on your race that will be something that will stick with them they might not want we don't want that to be the case you know what i mean but at least you're you're giving them the critical consciousness that because of the type of system we live in this might be an outcome now you got to make your decisions with that understanding but i'm never going to prevent you from having that understanding yeah thank you that that's very helpful because I, I just think a lot of our young people find themselves in that situation in mm -hmm. some regard. And sometimes we don't know how to prepare them for it. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Go okay. on, Miriam. I was, I was saying, yeah. And I, then I was thinking, and honestly, it doesn't even have to be that you, that you were actually engaged in whatever the accused all. all it takes is someone accusing you. Yes. That's it. So once someone says, hey, they did X, Y, and Z, whether it's true or not, it is forever written in stone mm -hmm. and it's never going to go away. And even when, even if, I'll say, if you are able to be exonerated and proven innocent, it's still going to be an asterisk there because they'll say, just like, um, Central Park Five. Mm -hmm. He was mm -hmm. one of those boys that got locked up for X, even though they didn't do it, but yeah. it, it still will follow as part of your 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 legacy, your line, mm -hmm. your story. And it's not fair. And it's it's ugly and it's nasty. And and I wish that there was I don't know. I don't see this kind of thing changing here in America in mm -hmm. our lifetime, but I hope that for my grandchildren, it, it won't look the same Yeah, because I know life doesn't look that much different for us now than my grandmother. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, of course, a couple little differences, you know, but in general, it's at its core, it feels, it seems like it's the exact same and it's it's a it's a conversation that you know it's interesting how we're sitting here talking about sex but yet we're talking about social mm -hmm. yeah how, how tightly integrated all these things are and how it really is a wall of dominoes just you, you pick the wrong one and then everything is just turning to pieces yeah because you but don't I, want your kids to live in fear you don't mm -hmm. want them to have trepidation and everything right. they do you want to raise free free black children right but you also want them to be informed and so the information is what we get to present as parents we get to say here's what i know about the world my hope for you is that the world is evolving in a way that supports your humanity but from what i know about it it's not changing fast enough for your right. behaviors to not be misrepresented so right. I want you to be able to make decisions fully knowing what the world is. And if you make a mistake, I'm going to have your back. I'm going to love you still. I'm not going to, you know, shun you, but I, I want to at least give you, give you the, the framework that we're, that we're living in. Yeah, we're, I feel like this conversation is just getting started and it's time right? for us to end. I'm, you know, this whole conversation about 
rape and sexual assault is a is a whole different conversation mm -hmm. but you mentioned that you are a counselor yeah for those who are listening and i know i want you to do two things i want you to define what rape is if you mm -hmm. are willing to do that and then talk about how a parent or a friend can direct someone into getting counseling and therapy if sexual assault or abuse yeah. is something that they've encountered. Yeah, I'm going to use the broader term of sexual violence or sexual violation to encompass any sexual activity. It doesn't have to just be penetration that someone cannot or did not consent to cannot or did not. So with certain age gaps, you can't consent even if you wanted to do it. So you have to be mindful of that. And it did not, meaning the person didn't say that they wanted that. They, when, when they said no, or they didn't say no, but they indicated that that was not a wanted sexual activity. So it could be anything from oral to, it doesn't have to be penetration. I think people lock it in. Well, this, it wasn't this, so it wasn't really rape. It absolutely can be. And so that sexual violence spectrum is really important. Now, consent can happen in a number of ways. It's not just, yes, I want to do this. Sometimes you can nod, sometimes it's a look, but if you are ready to have a sexual experience with someone, I recommend you talk about it. I recommend you communicate and say, what do you like? What do you not like? What's okay? What's not okay? That's how a good comprehensive sex ed is going to teach you to approach a sexual situation anyway, so that you're not just making up things or feeling entitled to someone, but that you are both, or, you know, like that you are both in it to have a reciprocally pleasurable experience, as opposed to one that someone gets something and the other one feels exploited. And then what was the second part? The second part is how to seek counseling. If you find okay. that you have like a, emotional or sexual, you, you know, you need help talking about it or in that area, something has happened, what should they do? So my, my fave sites for our community are Therapy for Black Girls. It's a whole directory <laughs> of, of mental health professionals. I'm a licensed psychologist. They've got licensed professional counselors, mental health therapists, family therapists, everything you want. Um, therapy for Black Men. So it's a similar, similar, but for, you know, tailored to black men in their experience. And then they got therapy for black kids. So if you want therapists that are specifically attending to youth, that's as well. And then another organization that does really good work is BEAM, B-E-A-M, um, Black Emotional. Hmm. So I don't know. I can't think of the acronym, what it stands for, but basically they do a lot of mental health outreach and wellness outreach, and they have a directory on people who provide telehealth and teletherapy for black people. And so just in case you want someone that's not in your state or you find someone that feel like a good fit, but they might be able to do telehealth across state lines, whereas typically in person, you don't see that. Oh, wow. that's great. Sorry, because I'm sitting there thinking they got black... <laughs> black therapy for everyone mm -hmm. i think that's amazing all these people man why didn't i have these ideas because right. i'm not i just but <laughs> that's very very helpful and we're definitely going to have to link to these things in the show notes so that listeners can take those steps if they feel so moved to do so because i think i think most of us could benefit from speaking to someone yes with an um, object more objective mindset about our lives because when we talk to our friends you know they know us and they may have you know sensitive information to the situation mm -hmm. having a, a a uninvested outsider I, I think that most of us could benefit from yeah and even me as a psychologist, like therapists have therapists, like we need somebody to talk to, too. So I can <laughs> imagine parents, look, listening to and parents, listen, else. we need it because it's rough out here. Yes. <laughs> you tell it? What? 
I I must say I definitely believe in therapy. I started going to therapy. I felt like it was in 2020 and it's That's been life changing. We, everybody needed it. <laughs> I think that was like an open door for everybody like, "Oh, my client list went up immediately." <laughs> yes, I, I think it became more um acceptable and so it was easier to say, oh, I, I, I have to see my therapist, at least in the Black African-American community. Mm -hmm. But I, I love my therapy appointments and I recommend it. It has been liberating in so many ways. And that's what this conversation has been all about. You talked about BEAM, which is Black emotional and mental health. Oh, yes. And so I think that's something that we definitely have to talk about again. It's this um, recording is being done in May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we can't stress enough. Yes, we're talking about sexual health, but our mental and emotional health is so important. And just in this conversation, the three of us, we want you to know that it is okay to seek help. It is honorable. It is respectful. And we have to acknowledge that we and of ourselves, we often need to talk to somebody whose objectives, who, who is outside of the situation, and that is okay. That is totally what is acceptable and okay to do. And don't feel any sort of stigma around therapy. It's something that every single person on this earth could use. It is not for people of a certain demographic, a certain economic status, it is truly for all of us. And so I wanted to personally say thank you, Dr. Candace. I, I know, you know, you're a busy woman, but we would love to have you back because I feel like there's so, so much more that we yes. need to talk about with families. But can you let us know a little bit about how people can get in touch with you, can reach out to you, what resources you may have? You shared a lot of resources for other people, yeah. but tell us a little bit about you and how our audience can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Y'all can... Find me on drcandicenicole.com and on Instagram at drcandicenicole, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-N-I-C-O-L-E. -E. Um, my content is more for the adults, though, so I just want to name that. Okay. <laughs> Don't send your kids to my page. <laughs> That's why That's I gave okay. you some positive no families, you know? <laughs> That's why I gave you the resources that are directed toward the youth. But if you are an adult and you want more conversation around sexual health or good sex, I'm, I'm definitely in that space. And I have a book coming out in February 2025 called Good Sex. I'm going to be talking about how, you know, all of these systems that we discussed influence our ability to enjoy a healthy sex life. So I can't oh, wait. Wow. Look at these connections. Oh, sister, sister. Okay. Sorry, I'm excited. I can't wait for 2025 now. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm so excited. That sounds good. I am super happy for you. And I must say, we got to have an adult conversation. I feel like today's conversation definitely was geared towards the family context as a whole. But um, we definitely need to talk about healthy adult because here's the thing. We want to be healthy whole people and not just seek wholeness within a relationship. We need to mm -hmm. be whole alone. I believe that is something that is attainable. And I think it's something that is important for us to understand that we can be happy by ourselves and in a relationship. Like when you can be happy by yourself, you can then have healthy relationships. Yeah. So we, you know, this has just been a pleasure. I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, we've known you forever. <laughs> It's just, it's just been comfortable talking. It became to you. like a homegirl session. Like, and then, <laughs> guess what? <laughs> yes, yes. So we want to honor your time. Um, everybody, definitely go to her pages, support her, support the work that she's doing. Because you know, we all want to have good sex. We want to have good sex lives, and we want to be emotionally healthy. And that is something that is promising and it's something that we can feel it's not something we should be ashamed of so erase the shame and you said yeah. something that i want to to say um to reiterate you said that rejection can feel hard and you said that early on and i just want to reiterate that because sometimes 
I don't know who's listening. They may be single and they be maybe wanting a relationship. And while rejection can be hard, I want people to know that you can be whole by yourself, even in the context of whatever, you know, is going on in your life. So be healthy, be whole, and definitely stay tuned because we are going to have Dr. Candace back. Miriam, did you want to close us out with anything else? Nothing, but I really needed this conversation and I'm so glad that we were able to have it. And yes, I feel like I've known you for a long time now. And I hope that we certainly can reschedule you in the future because this is really just just moving just two little grains of sand here. We got a whole beach to kick through. And (laughs) there's so, so many gems that I, I can see that you have for us. And as women, as Black women, as Black mothers, this is something that you know, we all need to be able to raise the next generation of freer people that can continue this work of, you know, liberation, getting real liberation and real freedom and real joy, just, yes, healing. That's that's where I am. Okay. Yes. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So say your website one more time so that people can go to it. And again, it will be in the show notes. Yep. You can go to drcandicenicole.com. Thank you. And everybody have a wonderful day and we wish you the best. cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.